here. Hey, Aaron. Uh, recording a podcast, I guess. <laughs> how's how's it been? How are you? Uh, you know, I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good. You know, just just doing the things. You know, I've been playing in, in my unemployment. I've been playing a lot more sports than I normally would. Uh, oh, nice. I've been golfing, golfing a lot with the with the dad, playing tennis with the moms. <laughs> um, <laughs> It it would have been perfect if you had called your dad himself. That yeah, would have been a great inside joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, so two questions. The first is, um, <laughs> what's what what kind of score golf score do you have on eighteen holes? What are you we see, looking at, Aaron? The thing about my game is not that I'm incapable of being a good golfer; it's that okay. I am currently struggling with consistency. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, so I've actually pulled off a couple of birdies. Nice. But I would say the most common is probably a quadruple bogey. Okay. Probably the most common. That's the median? <laughs> so it's what's, like, the, what's the mean? A double bogey? I think, uh, I don't know. I think my scores are probably hovering around 100, 110 right now. So here's what I've heard. I've heard if you're now, this is probably just me, but I've heard that around 100 is pretty good. Like I, you are capable of playing golf. Yeah, I, 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 I over the past couple of weeks, I've gotten a lot better, and I've and it's mm. what I've learned is the more uncomfortable you feel swinging a club, probably the closer you are to having a good swing. Okay, like it shouldn't <laughs> feel good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which I find frustrating compared to baseball because in a baseball swing, if it feels good, it is good. You know? I see. Because yeah. like you know, there's a batting range, batting range, a golf range, <laughs> and batting cage in one place, and so some yeah. days I'll just go and do both because a nice. it's one of the best batting cages I've ever been to, and it's a golf range. Like everyone has fucking grass, so it's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's been fun, and, and my tennis game has gotten better. I'm, so that was my next question. Do you play singles versus your mom, no. or are you playing doubles with her? No, we're just playing. What do you think of that hit? If you played singles with your mom, would she shit on you? It'd be closer than I'd like to, to admit, <laughs> I, I think, considering her... Considering, her considering you're 29, yeah, yeah. and she's not 29? Yeah, she's 35. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) in case anyone asks, tell your mom I love her. Yeah. Uh, no, my, my (laughs) test game's gotten a lot better. My serve has especially gotten a lot better. I think I'm ready to go out and play some matches. What would you say? So I don't know anything about tennis style, but what would you say your, your style is like, are you a net hugger, a power Mm. play, a backhand smasher? Like what's your style? Uh, I'm. I guess if you were to compare my style to a current top world player, the one I would be most closely trying to emulate would be a Djokovic. Okay. So a kind of all around trying to eliminate any holes rather than to work on any strengths. Got it. Okay. Just the defense is just impe- impeccable. That and just like not having like I'm trying to make it so that my backhand is 
just as dangerous as my forehand. And yeah. I'm trying to have several different kinds of serves that are all legitimate. So I don't have, like, the I same see. serve. Because, like, you know, you got players like Roger Federer where, like, if you don't want to lose, you hit it at his, at his forehand all the time because his backhand will mess you up. <laughs> okay. Right? Because, like, he's got such control with a one-handed backhand that, like, for, like, the first 10 years of his career, everyone would just hit to his backhand because that's normally someone's weak side. And he won a yeah. lot of grand slams with people going after his best shot. Like, that's not the shit on Roger Federer's forehand. He's one of the greatest male tennis players of all time. His forehand's amazing. It's but just, just like, his, normally what someone's weak spot is his strength. And people hit into his strength a lot because it's normally weak for other people. I see. Okay. And then Federer doesn't have a fast serve, but Federer can hit a nickel on the court with his serve. So, like, he's, it's not that his serve is so dominant in its power it's impressive where he can put it he can put it right where he wants it for whichever player he's playing against interesting and like a lot of the power tennis servers never end up actually being that good because that's like they're like a one-trick pony you know like john isner is the example of the american test player right now he's six foot eight and serves at 140 (laughs) miles an hour and he pretty much ends up losing all of the matches he loses in tiebreakers because no one can break him, but then he can't break anyone else. So they end up yeah. in a tiebreaker, and as soon as he loses one point on his serve, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> so. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, uh, the person I would most try to emulate would be a Djokovic-style player that's just an all-around game. I'm trying to eliminate weaknesses rather than to just focus on guys. Nice. Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying that time. I'm going back to work after family leave tomorrow. So tomorrow is my, my first day back. Um, so it's it's bittersweet. Like, it's I'm excited, but it's also like there is a whole lot more joy to just sitting around staring at a baby than one would imagine. And it's really weird because it, it's hard to describe. It's almost the same thing as getting a puppy, too, though. Like, I did not want a dog. And then when I got Annie, like... Just staring at her makes me happy. So, like, it's it's something weird like that. Like, once you form this bond, it's just like, oh, all I want to do is sit here and continue forming this bond with you. So, is Chelsea um, going back to work tomorrow, too? No, she goes back in December-ish time frame. So she's still got a little while. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's hard for parents. Like, it's because it's one of those things, first of all, we don't even have to get into the topic. It really sucks that the United States is like the most, one of the most medieval uh, Western, like, you know, I hate the term first world and third world because it doesn't really apply anymore. It's not really, nobody really, like the real definition is not the way people use it. But it's one of the most medieval uh, modern <laughs> countries I think that, at this point, the original definition of first, second, and third world no longer applies, and that everyone kind of understands what they mean now. I, okay. Although, what happened to second world? Why can't second world still be a thing? Why does it have to be third? Well, because... because I know what the original definitions are, <laughs> but I, we don't use those anymore. So, like, yeah. you know, can't we, couldn't we have adopted them? We've, we've already adopted first and third to no longer mean what they used to mean. That's true. So second, second could be somewhere between third and first because it no longer means what it meant. Yeah, we could. So if you're using the more modern colloquialism of the term first world, then the United States is one of the most medieval first world countries when it comes to uh, family leave. Like, I'd like- most I gotta Sorry, say this right now. The way you say that word makes me happy that you pronounce the letters that are written there. 
Which which let wait. Medieval. Medieval. Yes. Most people like... pronounce it with an I. I know. <laughs> but I first of all like to spell things correctly, <laughs> and second of all tend to pronounce them in more of a way that would enhance my memorization of the spelling. Yeah, well, that's not you English, know. though, so you start speaking <laughs> a different language when you do I that. <laughs> but medieval is pronounced medieval. Uh, there is, you could pronounce it me, like medieval, but medieval is actually not. And then sometimes people pronounce medieval, medieval. Yeah, don't do that. Now you just have yeah. to, that's where you start saying British and pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just like, that's one of the things where I, you know, I've been off for two months and that's a pretty good amount of time. I'm actually, you know, kind of transitioning jobs, so that makes it weird, but I would actually normally get more. Um, but that's just that, even that feels too short, but I feel content. Like, I feel like it's been a good run of getting to spend time with her and take care of her and and things like that and help. So you are no. transitioning jobs. This is the official announcement. Yes, sure. <laughs> you just said so, that. That's so true. I was going to say that, like, while you've been on leave, I've been using Windows every day, and it seems like they're doing fine without you. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> However, I wasn't on Windows. <laughs> yeah, you don't got to ruin the joke. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm switching to. Uh, Oracle got a job offer offer from Oracle, so going over there. Um, I'll let you know what it's like once I get there, which is tomorrow. You're going to do the whole day doing training and safety stuff and filling out paperwork. <laughs> You're not going to do anything tomorrow. I'll tell you next week what it feels like. Um, Remember not to harass some... anybody. But check this out. Don't this say anything racist. Is... <laughs> this is an interesting fact that I learned when talking to some friends. Because I, first of all, think that just there should be family leave laws in general, which there aren't in the very US. many. Yeah, if, yeah, especially not federally, but um, most states don't even have that good of laws. Like, actually, Washington has some pretty good laws, but most states don't. Um, U.S. military. If you are a father in the U.S. military, a new father, how many days off do you get? Uh, five. Close, but but a little low. Six? <laughs> you were low by five. It's ten. Fun story, though. That includes the fucking weekend, bitch. Oh. So Deal with it. So it's not so even really, two it's weeks. more like eight. It's like <laughs> five days and then three of the next week. But if you're um, deployed, you don't get any. So They don't I, ship you back from deployment, right? I actually don't know how that works. Um, I didn't ask, but even if you're, this is just if you're not deployed, you get ten days off, including the weekend, and it's just like what the shit. That's one of the things that really pisses me off about this stuff of like kneeling at the flag and how that's you know uh, dishonoring service men and women, etc. And it's just like, do you want to know how to honor them? Like, vote in people who would give them better benefits, better pay, better so, family leave. Like, If you're a woman in the army, is it also 10 days? No, 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 no. It's more, but I don't think it's that much more. Army, mother, family leave. Or actually, I should probably put U.S. military. 
make that. I mean, you're in the U.S. It's going to assume that part. That's true. Maternity leave. Oh, there's like a fact sheet here. Well, it's fun as it is to do research on the podcast. Yeah, let's. I was just wondering if it was the same for both, but according to you, it's I, not. I don't. As far as I understand, it is not. I don't know. That's ridiculous. And I, I just think that should the way it should be for everybody. I like that there's fairly long, like uh, secondary caregiver leaves too, because it kind of balances the playing field. It's like because you know a lot of young women experience discrimination getting hired because it's like, well, you could get pregnant and then take leave. And Microsoft's thing is, well, if we give both people huge leave the secondary caregiver doesn't give as get as much or like whatever the non-birth parent whatever they want to call it doesn't get as much but they get a lot and so it's kind of this sentiment of if if both young men and young women can get the same amount of leave for a child then there's no reason to discriminate against young women um before like when you're trying to decide who to hire you know so uh, if you anyway. were making the policy, how much time do you think is a reasonable amount balancing out the company's interest at making money and then the person's interest at having time with their child? Like, what do you think, think would be a reasonable amount of leave to federally mandate as a minimum? I actually think Microsoft's is pretty good, but I'd go, I'd go just a little bit higher than Microsoft's. I think secondary non-birth caregivers should get 12 weeks that you could split into two over the first year. So you could take 12 weeks right when they're born, 12 weeks the last 12 weeks of the year after they're born, 12 weeks in the middle, or you could take six weeks and six weeks, or three weeks and nine weeks, or however you want to split it up, but you can't split up more than two. Like, Because I, I have heard that companies don't really like it when people do one week on, one week off, one week on, one week off, right? Right. Like, So Microsoft's thing is try to keep, to like keep it in two chunks. And then mothers, I would give six months. Or, Could you? Um, would they weeks. be okay if you just did that? Like every Thursday, Friday, you're off. So it, I think it really depends on the company. Microsoft, yes, as long as you can work it out with your manager, it's fine, right? So one thing that I was looking at possibly doing was something like that. I'm going to take eight weeks off, and then over the next two months, take off Fridays, you know, or something like that. And that way, it's it kind of balances for them. You know, how much do you value me at least being engaged or maybe take off Thursday, Fridays? And it's like, well, we'd rather have you back a month sooner engaged, sending emails, organizing things, but, you know, still give you your time. So it really just depends on how you want to work so it out. Do you think that your... 12 weeks is something that, like, I mean, Microsoft is a big company. I think a smaller companies, that might be. Um, like, imagine a company of six people being federally mandated to have 12 weeks, and they just happen to have two people have kids at the same time. So now you've got, you know, 33% of your workforce is on leave for three months. Yeah, yeah. So this that's one of the things that's hard. That would only – so the, the problem there is that that applies, at least in my estimation, only to salaried employees. Um, at, right, as of today, most hourly employees get no paid leave. Right. If you're an hourly employee and you want to take leave, you just stop taking hours for a while. Right. And and if they're a good company, they'll let you stop taking hours for a month. And if they want you. Right. You could stop taking hours for a month and then come back in a month. And they don't really. That's OK. Fine. Now, some smaller companies might say, well, that kind of sucks. We really need someone to be around. So I understand that. But this whole like paid leave, that's a that's kind of like a salaried employee thing. 
personally, and this is what I really think it should be, uh, is that, and, and this will never fly, uh, it should be government-based. There should be government-based family leave, like government-pay-based family leave, in my mm. opinion. We have so many people, I know someone, who every time I argue with them about politics, quote-unquote, all they care about is the children. Yeah, let me see you vote for that. Like, will you vote for that? Giving parents 12 weeks off that the government pays for? Because I think Will the government should. be paying if, their normal salary for those 12 so weeks? So I think what you'd probably do is work out a way, kind of like... Um, health insurance or you know how an employer pays some of the health insurance and you pay some of it so on and so forth it would be like a governmental minimum where you take the minimum wage and multiply it maybe by a certain amount or something like that and the government pays that would um, that be for everyone because then cause if you're then someone making minimum wage you'd be making more money to have children than you would yeah. be make doing work so let me say I wouldn't want anyone to quote me on the numbers, just on the idea. I think the idea of having the government assist is what we should do. The numbers should be you know, designed to be as fair and as best as we think they can be. Um, and you know, Because I know that there's problems with and – and I don't know what the exact percentages are, right? But there are people who people claim – are having children just to get the tax breaks or whatever. Like, at least having a child for two months, probably not worth it. It's fucking hard. And, like, if you're getting a, having a child for a tax break, like, fuck me. Really? Like, that's that's a lot of hard work and a lot of effort for a tax break. Apparently there are people who do it. I don't know what percentage that is. So you'd want to work out the numbers so it's correct, but maybe it's something like up to a certain salary dollar value, the government pays 100%, and then they start waning off above that, and then the company picks up the tab on the rest of it. And then for hourly employees that are working you know, minimum wage or some factor of minimum wage, the government always picks it up or whatever, right? And, and that, like, no shit for those people who say, I... I care. I just care about the children. How could you be against that? Like, I think children need both of their parents within the first three months, no question. Like, it's hard enough with two fucking people, right? It's hard enough to take care of one infant with two people. So, you know, I, I would love for families to have both people off work for at least three months or however they want to work it out. And if they want, they can, you know, some families will, like... Somebody I know at Microsoft basically did their wife took off um, zero to five months because Microsoft gives five months and then they took off uh, those six, seven, eight months. Right. So they pretty much covered, you know, uh, a good three quarter. Sorry. um, You know, two thirds of the year with their leave. And so if you want to do that, if you want to split it up, mother for three months, father for three months or whatever it is, more power to you. But I just think it's. It's really, really, really bad for families, and it's really, really hard for families. And it just, it's painful for me to just think, like, Jesus, I have a great job, make really good money, and have this awesome benefit. There are people who have shitty jobs, make shitty money, and then cannot care for their children, right? It's like, what the fuck are we like, right? So, you know, if you really do care, vote for policies. <laughs> that actually go to helping children vote for policy like i think that there should be some level of governmental assistance and child care there most european countries have not most a lot 
many European countries have government-assisted childcare, right? Because they want good people to remain in their workforce. But again, maybe not even, the government doesn't have to fully pay for it, but assisted, right? It's part of this plan where, okay, now you have a child and you're going to need someone to help you care for that child, you know. My biggest issue with that is that the biggest thing destroying Earth right now is people. So government-assisted childcare is essentially (laughs) government-assisted Earth destruction. So I'm not sure that I actually want the government to help or encourage people to have more kids if we're going to destroy the world more. Yeah, so I I honestly agree with that. I don't like even the child like the dependent tax credit for the for that exact reason. If there really are people abusing it and that is the government incentive because some tax credits are government incentives, right? The you know how you can take a de- deduction for the interest you pay on your house on your taxes. That is the government propping up the housing market, plain and simple. There is no question, right? Now I think it really does cost more to have children. The dependent tax credit is not meant to you know uh, subsidize having children. It's meant to say you are now feeding another human being or clothing, housing another human being. Here's a way to help offset some of those extra costs. I don't think the government is trying to say have more children, at least not at this point. But yeah, I'd say any plan, you know, any program that makes like incentivizes children too much, then yeah, that's that's going too far. But I really think for the average person, like if it's your fourth child or above, let's say, because the average in the U.S. now is like 1.2 or some shit like that. I think it's higher than that. It's like 1.9. whatever it is. So if it's like more than eight or more than nine or more than five, whatever cutoff you want to choose, choose a cutoff and say, after that, no more dependent tax credits. The other thing is, is like, you know, the government's only going to spend X number of dollars and this is going to cost more dollars. And the argument I would also make is while you still have people that are homeless everywhere, shouldn't we be taking care of the people we already have before we start considering the people that aren't here yet? That is a good argument. And we should. Um, This is this is orthogonal to that. We should do both, in my opinion. Well, but like, like what I said, there's like a limited number of dollars. So like you, like every, every new program you have means that you either need to make more dollars or cut something else. Yes, I agree. Um, and personally, I think I have places that I would choose to cut things, right? Um, but other people may not agree. And so that's kind of where the discussion lies of like fiscal conservatism. I'm a fiscal conservative too. I just want to move where we spend that money. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, yeah, it's not a perfect plan, but that's. I really think that if if we actually think we care, if you think you care, then are you? Do you actually care, or do you just say you care? I've had some discussions recently with some people, and I don't even want to really go into what the arguments were about. It's more of the substance of where their argument came from. And what I feel is happening too much nowadays is this because people, maybe it's because they have the internet. It could just be their personality. I really don't know what it is, but they feel like now that they have done some research, they are capable of stating their opinion as if it were fact. And I'll give two examples. One is there was this thing where 
California signed a bill that basically uh, changed parole guidelines for nonviolent offenders or some shit like that. And it basically, there was some biased news articles that were like, Jerry Brown is letting rapists out of prison, which the the bill doesn't say that. It's just, it says nonviolent, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and a bunch of legal experts were like, it is a little vague, but every judge that, that commented on the, the, cause it was like an initiative. So it was written by the people was like, you know, this isn't going to be interpreted that way. It's a little vague right here, but basically it's just saying marijuana convictions, you know, unarmed theft or whatever. And it doesn't even get them out or reduce sentences. It just like changes the parole guidelines or whatever. And uh, this person basically said to me, well, I read the bill and it lets them out. And so what I, what I am trying to like say is just because you read the bill or read the Supreme Court opinion or whatever, you are still a human being interpreting that uh, piece of paper as best you can. And that doesn't necessarily mean that because you read it, it's fact. And I get a lot of people saying, well, I read it and you didn't read it, so you're wrong. And it's like, that's not really how this works at all. Right. If you think that the way laws are written govern how anything is done, you should read the Constitution because that doesn't govern anything that's done anymore. So, like, uh, what matters with law is not what the law says. It's what the judge in that case says the law says. And judges are very creative nowadays in making the law say whatever they need it to say. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. And but but the 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 bigger point is just like just because I haven't read it yet or or like I have people who like apparently all they have to do all day is watch C-SPAN. And they're like, "Did you see Daryl Issa say this on C-SPAN?" And I'm like, "No." And they're like, "Well, then you're wrong." And I'm like, "You heard a guy talk on C-SPAN that doesn't make your pos- position or opinion any more right." And so I'd hesitate. It's the same thing. And I've made this mistake before, especially when I was younger. But, like, I try to stray away from, like, talking about the Iran deal or Iran deal. Like, not with you. Like, when we talk about it, I like to bring some of my nuclear engineering expertise to the conversation about, you know, being a podcast and just education in general. But when I'm arguing about it, I don't say, you know, I studied nuclear engineering, so I'm right. Right? Now, I might say, look... Do you actually know what this means? Do you know what reducing this, reducing this, reducing this means? Let's talk about what that means. But I'm not going to say, because I studied nuclear engineering, I'm right and you're wrong, right? So it's it's like this thing that where people are like, well, because I saw it or read it or whatever, I'm a sleuth. And now I'm I figured it out. And since you haven't read it yet or haven't sleuthed it out yet, you're wrong. Right. And the second example of this is I saw on Facebook somebody posted something that was like, I was on Facebook and I clicked a link to a right wing site. And when it when I hit on the site, it was a 404. That's Facebook censorship. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's that's not Facebook's fault. 
that that site isn't properly routing traffic to that site. Like Facebook isn't giving you a 404. That site is giving you a 404. Either their IT department sucks or uh, somebody put a bad, a broken link on Facebook. But at the end of the day, Facebook had nothing to fucking do with that website's 404. And so I just want to caution people against this like, Whatever it is, even if you are an expert, try to take a step back and say, wait a second, what else could be going on here? Does me clicking a link and it failing justify me being some type of internet sleuth that like, and and you've the, you're the first person to discover that Facebook is 404ing sites for other sites randomly? Or you know, or just because you read legislation, are you some type of legal expert, and you are now capable of interpreting it for the all of the state of California, right? Because even legal experts, even judges, disagree on how to interpret <laughs> legislation. So you, as not uh, someone with a law degree, are even less equipped. <laughs> yeah, to read that legislation and tell tell the world what it means. Uh, so that's my little five-minute rant on that. Once you've read a law, you have no idea what that law is going to mean because they're going to find one verb or one adjective in there that means, like, oh, that's a little vague, so now the whole law means anything I say it means. And that's yeah. what they do all the time. I uh, mean, there's, there's tons of that. It's like the you know Supreme Court decision on Obamacare was very much like the administration saying, the penalty is not a tax, and the Supreme Court basically saying, the way I read it, it's a tax, right? <laughs> so, like, uh, you're always going to get people to disagree, and that decision was 5-4. The liberals joined by Roberts said that it was a tax. So, um, it just because you read something, and that's me too, like, I love reading Supreme Court opinions, and I love digesting them and regurgitating them the way I interpret them. But that doesn't mean that I'm a legal expert, and it doesn't mean that I'm right just because I read it and you didn't. So watch out for that, peoples. In the recent days, a lot more people have become concerned with the amount of data that's being tracked by Google or Facebook or Amazon or any of the major sites that they visit. Mm-hmm. And they are suddenly very worried about how much of their personal data is being mined and how, you know, ads are being focused to them and how they were talking to their nephew about, you know, air hogs or whatever. And then they got back on Facebook and there was an air hog ad there and they've never searched for air hog before in their life and all this type of stuff. <laughs> I'm guessing that wasn't you. No, I no. I actually, I don't know why I thought of air hogs. Okay. I had an air hog when I was like 12 and it was awesome, by the way. <laughs> I, got, I think I got stuck in a tree in, in oh, uh, no. Oak Grove Park. So I think that's where that died. <laughs> R.I.P. That's um, rough. Uh, so I read about this type of background browser extension you can download mm. that while you're ba- browsing the internet, it's constantly just searching the internet and other websites for random stuff mm. so that none of those other sites can ever get a read on you 
because like your search history is just completely random and it's just all over the map like it'll take on like the personality of a 13 year old girl and then like a 65 year old man and then a 22 year old man and then it'll just search it'll just search constantly all of the major sites for random stuff so that it'll never knows who you are yeah and i just wanted to say a couple things it know if you download that, it knows who you are. You're a mid twenties white male because you're the only fucking person that's downloading that shit. So if your search history is all over the map like that, they've realized you've downloaded an app and that you're probably a twenty something white male. Yeah. Um secondly, the internet is free because they've been mining our personal information. Pretty much from the get-go. And Mm. if you don't want a free internet, I don't know what that model would look like, but you could get your privacy back in that model at the price of paying to use the websites that you currently use essentially for free. Like the cost, the way that Facebook and Google make money is selling targeted ads to its users. Yeah. And if they can no longer target you, then their ability to sell those ads diminishes, and then they need to find an alternative revenue stream. And I don't know how they would do that, but, like, something that you need to accept when you're on the internet is that, no, you're probably not private, and that a lot of stuff about you is known that you would probably be uncomfortable. Like, the model that Facebook and Google have of you is probably more accurate... They probably know more about you than you do. They probably can better predict your next purchase better than you can. Probably. Um, so I would also make two comments on that. The first being that, you know, what you could end up with is a model more like, you know, <clears throat> apps that make you pay to get rid of ads. Right? It's either you use Facebook where they're allowed to mine your data and do whatever with it or you pay a fee or whatever. But it's, if or you like did Hulu. that. Like, that works for an app where it's not, like, that person's main moneymaker. Where, like, one-time purchase of $3 means no ads forever. Yeah. But, like, for Facebook, they make so much money selling ads of each individual person. Like, how much would it have to be? And, like, Facebook has billions of individual users now. Not all of them can afford $4. So it wouldn't have billions of users if it wasn't free. I would say you'd probably um, make it low. Well, I don't know. Um, is Facebook still worth 20 whatever billion dollars it's worth if it has yeah. a quarter of the users because people aren't willing to pay $2 for it? I don't know. Um, but what it would basically be is use it the way it looks today or pay $2 and get rid of the sponsored parts of the feed or whatever. You know, it would be essentially the same as it is today. Um, so I wouldn't know exactly what they would do, but that is something that they have floated like not floated is what they're going to actually do but i think zuckerberg was at one of the hearings and said something like it actually it was in response to a fucking dumbass question that he got but either way he was like senator i don't think you understand like you don't pay the senator is like what about when pe- like people are paying and they and you're mining their data and she's, he's like i don't think you understand people aren't paying for facebook and he's, he's like now i will tell you we've you know, we're a company and we need to make revenue. And there are different ideas on how to do that. Someone like Hulu will let you pay 
to get rid of ads, so on and so forth, right? So they're, they're Except different. Hulu won't. Even if you pay for Hulu, you still have to watch the stupid ads. It depends. Uh, actually, with Hulu, you have to pay for ads. If you pay to get the ads to go away, that's only for old content. For new content, it doesn't count. Like, if the episode came out within the last week or whatever, or within the last six months, or depending on the show, then you're not paying to get no ads on that. Anyway. This is why um, I don't have Hulu, by the way. Hulu, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the second bigger piece to this, and and I think this is the piece that most people don't understand, with the exceptions, with the exception of accidental fuck ups like Facebook allowing second party apps, that is your friends installing an app to get your information. Um, with exceptions of fuck ups like that, most companies highly anonymize their user data. Now, you might say, well, we really don't know how much and blah, blah, blah. But I will tell you that like most companies, like even Facebook, they don't care who you are. They don't care about saying Aaron Roney should get these ads for butt plugs. <laughs> they care. Dragon fang butt plugs. <laughs> They care that you get the right butt plug ads, right? They don't care who you fucking actually are. So they could, ev- they might even go so far as trying to figure out a layer where all the processing is done, where they know they don't know which account they're about to give a butt plug ad to, but they basically took your account, they anonymized it, they put it in like a hash function basically to anonymize it, and they say, okay, here's all this account stuff. What are we going to give them? And it's a separate service that then drops that back down to you, right? And there's two reasons for this. One, it's actually not that useful or legally um, good for companies to know who you are with your data. Because fucking companies like Apple and Facebook and Google hate responding to subpoenas. And so the best way to prevent them from responding to subpoenas is to not know. (laughs) <laughs> right? That's Apple's argument with the iPhone. Hey, why don't you have a back door? Well, because if we don't have a fucking back door, you can't subpoena us to open their fucking phone. And it's also less secure. But either way, like, they, like, hey, you want us to open the phone? We literally can't. Hey, you want us to de-anonymize this data? We literally can't. Right? And so one of the big pieces of that is the GDPR, which is the new uh, European Union data privacy law. Now, there, there are people on both sides of the argument. There's some that say it doesn't go far enough, and it, but it does go pretty far. It's general data protection regulation. And it puts a lot of stringent rules. I've spent like the last year and a half at Microsoft not working on just this, but this being a major part of what I do is complying with GDPR. Now, I didn't personally do it. A higher entity at Microsoft ended up taking over all of that compliance and basically telling everyone how to do it. But um, that meant that some of the data that my products took, which we didn't even care. Like when this group came to us, they were like, hey, you're going to have to anonymize your data. And we were like, how about we just stop taking any data that could be linked back to them? Like instead of letting you anonymize it, how about we literally just get the fact that they use this command? We don't care what their email is. We don't care what their IP is. We don't even care what fucking country they're in. We just want to know was this command used, right? And so a lot of companies are going to this model where 
they either anonymize the data properly so that it's easy to separate and that only like a few individuals can de-anonymize it or they're just going to a model where they say, fuck it, we'll just not even know who it is. We just want the data to know what the trends are. We don't necessarily want the data on you. Does that make sense? Now, Facebook is an exception to that. They want, at the end of the day, for you to see the right ad. But at the even-ender of the day, they actually don't care who you are when they gave you that ad. Right. right? They, just, they, want, just, they want just want to know you if to you're in them. the bucket of butt plug users or the exactly. bucket of, like, you know, chassis device users. And they yes. need to make sure that the right ad goes to the right person. They don't they care what bucket you might be in for the ad. They don't care the names in that bucket. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that's one thing that people, like, highly don't understand. Like, you could tell from the hearing with Facebook, like, these senators were asking questions, and Zuckerberg was like, look, that's not what we're going... We, yes, we are trying to target ads to users, no questions. No question. But, like... Having information on you to hold it over your head is not really our goal. And any time we've done that was an accident and a fuck up. Now, one could argue that Facebook has fucked up more than they should have to this point. They seem to apologize for some fuck up every year. So you could make that argument. But at the end of the day, I, I do believe them. I don't think that's what they're going for. So what's it called in a book or a song where the title of the song or the book is included in it? There's a word um, for that. Typically, it's eponymous. Eponymous. So eponymous. Eponymous. If yeah. Eponymous. If what? If in that last little rant of Aaron's, you found the eponymous part of this episode, <laughs> <laughs> don't be surprised. So I'm sure it's gonna be something about me buying butt plugs or something. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, yeah, so an eponymous work would be like The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn or Ethan Fromm or some like Ethan Fromm was terrible, but uh this is going to be a quick segment right here. Um quick update on Infinite Jest. Oh yeah, okay. We have 14 days left before the stated moment we should be done reading it. <laughs> and in 14 days is a Sunday. Which the first is a Monday, which is our normal record day. So in theory, 15 days from today, we should be recording our Infinite Jest wrap-up. Sure. I thought we were going to give ourselves to the mid-September. Uh, that wasn't... Or sorry, or sorry, mid-October. It's already mid-September. Mid-October. That wasn't my understanding. Oh, wait, no, no, you're right, you're right, sorry, you're right, end of September, you're right, sorry, I'm wrong. Um, so October 1st would be a Monday where we normally record. Yep. Um, okay. Is there hope for um, you? I believe I am almost done with part two. <laughs> I, only have, I only have five more after that. Uh, but there is more hope since I will be going to work every day, which means I will start slamming hours down pretty, pretty fast. Because I am going to finish part four tomorrow. Nice. Well, um, and also part five is not as long. Or sorry, part seven. Part eight. Or part seven is not. Yeah, part seven is not long. But it's still yeah. like six hours. So it's not like it's, it's still, short. Yeah, that's true. It's still. All right. All right. So we're still on. We're still going to try. We're going to try. We're going to try. We're doing right. it. All right. Infinite Jest talk. <laughs> we're working on it. All right. Um, You are going to have a 
bit of a bias in this discussion, but I wanted to get your opinion. Okay. I got a job offer. Ooh! <laughs> in Seattle. <laughs> for less money than I kind of was hoping for. But okay. the guys that I interviewed with were really nice and cool. Okay. And it went really well. And it was like about 30 minutes after the interview that I got the offer. Oh, wow. Um, um, can you tell me approximate dollar value and we'll just bleep it out? <laughs> uh, okay. So we can, uh, we can will, talk about like... Yeah, will I be able to live in Seattle area comfortably... Or is this going to be one of those drastic lifestyle-changing moments? It's not going to be drastic. It, I mean, I don't think... So, I got an idea. Well, because people, then people can always backfill it. <laughs> but I was going to say, what is that in Seattle for Houston? Uh, it's a lot less. I've already done this exercise. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, where are their offices? Right in the middle of downtown. Okay. So it's, and they yeah. don't provide parking, and parking oh, in the building is thirty-two dollars a day. So that will not be happening. Yeah, you'll be walking <laughs> or riding a bus or so, uh, biking or light rail any, or something. Any number of not parking. <laughs> yeah. <things. laughs> um. I, so, yes, it's definitely livable. I know people um, that I'm sure are that or less that do fine um, in Seattle. Like like you said, with your, you know, converting from Houston to Seattle, that's a chunk less. You have right, to remember that I'm going for. from one of the cheapest major cities in the country to live exactly. in to the third most expensive, I think it is now. Yeah, so it goes like New York, San Francisco, Seattle at this point. Yeah, so the the one thing that you might want to see is like maybe what kind of negotiation you might have with them. Um, they made it pretty clear on the phone that was already higher than they were comfortable with because that's more than people with my general level experience normally get. Interesting. And when they uh, so let, let's let's go over the whole process. Uh-huh. I applied for the job on Monday. Okay. On Tuesday, I get a call from a recruiter to get some general information about me and kind of what my goals and expectations were. Okay. On Tuesday, same day, if you yeah. recall, <laughs> he said the manager of the Seattle office uh-huh. is in Dallas for a meeting this week. Oh, wow. Can you meet up with him? Is Dallas nice. far from where you are? And I'm like, no, it's pretty close as it turns out. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I can probably pull that off. And so I met with him, who was a super nice guy, along with the manager of the Austin, Texas office. Okay. And so apparently they were very interested in the fact that I have a Texas PE. They've just yeah. won a bunch of work in Texas. And so kind of what they want me to do is move to Seattle work on Texas work from Seattle until I'm fully transitioned into the Seattle office, get my Washington PE license, oh, and then transition to do Seattle work. 
Interesting. Um, now, does the pay change when they transition you to Seattle work? Like, is this something where basically they're hiring you as an employee of the Austin office, which is why they're paying you Austin no, rates? No, no, no. This is, this, is, this is based on the Seattle office. They actually asked me if I wanted to move to Austin for a period of time before I went to Seattle. Yeah, okay. Not sure I want to move my entire life twice in a short period of time. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, but they but, don't have – sorry, go ahead. They, they, both of those guys were super cool, um, and it, and it, they both seemed like good dudes. Like I didn't have any problem. We talked a long time about just what kind of work they were planning on getting into. Yeah. And then the Austin guy took off to drive back to Austin, and the Seattle guy had a flight to catch. And then I was driving home, and on the drive home, I get a call from HR guy again. And he had the offer, and I just needed to get some more paperwork together before I got an official letter. Yeah, okay. Um, but Seattle's expensive. Seattle is expensive. Um, you know, an offset would be find you know finding roommates, which may not be too bad. Um, and it's like the office is like downtown, downtown. Yeah. Which would be cool. I think you would love like it. Sixth and something, he said. Okay, yeah, that's pretty downtown. Sixth and Pine. I feel like you're looking it up. Yeah, I don't. Oh no, I'm looking at the address. I just, I've already given. If I give both oh. cross streets, it'll be easy to determine which company it is, and I don't want to give that away. Oh yeah, on the okay. podcast. It sounds pretty close though, because Sixth is not is it is it it's in downtown. There's lots of area. So more north or more south. Um, like when I'm looking at Google, are you closer to South Lake Union or Pioneer Square? Uh, Union, I'm gonna say. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that's a really cool area too. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. Lots of cool stuff to do over there. There's that's like where all of the big Amazon buildings and stuff are. Um. So if you're on 6th, though, you'd probably want to live closer to 6th. And I know some people who live over there. Um, there's some good, uh, you know, studios and stuff in that area. Like, so. Uh, but at the same time, the cost of living is more expensive. Like, I try not to sugarcoat that, you know. <laughs> like, it's, it's more expensive. I, I'd say at the end of the day, though, like... You should consider probably your, first of all, a, a few things. You should get a little better read on the benefits. Yeah, maybe they sent me have, the full benefits package already. Okay, so you might want to look into that. Maybe they pay for transit. Like they might pay for a transit they card. They don't pay for transit. They have like a thing where you can put money in pre-tax towards tra- transit. Interesting. Okay, so something like that. You might want to see like how good their health insurance is compared to others. Like, oh, it's going to be better than anything you're going to get in Texas. Okay, so you know, there's that is a consideration. You might want to see like how good is their four hundred one k matching and things like that. So, and that's something you know you could also say forego. Like, I know some people that they want to move up here. They forego their four hundred one k for a year or two until they get a higher position, and then and then jump back into it. Um, not that that's a recommended strategy. Yeah, but... not, that is not going to be the strategy that I take regardless. Yeah, I'm not going to throw I... away free money. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I but I mean, you could instead of you know doing eighteen k a year, you could do. Um, I've never been able to do eighteen k a year. Yeah, yeah. So there, that's what I'm saying. Do the match, but don't go beyond that. Like however much you've gone beyond that before, maybe not do as much. Um, the other thing that I would ask them, and this is probably the most important question, is what does the trajectory look like for you if you you know do well? You know, are, are you looking at you know? Because that's the other thing you might want to ask, because it's especially I feel like it's more popular in Seattle than it is. Or it's more popular maybe on the West Coast than it is elsewhere. But, like, what is – do they have bonuses? What does that look like? Um, right? You've got to be you, careful about what I say so it doesn't I know. give away too much information. Yeah, but that's just a consideration, right? Because that, you know, that can be a pretty big uh, factor in that it's like, look, it's not guaranteed, but don't suck. And you're, you're looking at about this, you know, and that way you, it's a little better evaluation. Um. But what I would do, probably the, I, I would say all told though, the cost of living, and I've I've always said this, for most of the contiguous mainland, unless you live, I don't know where, but for most of the contiguous mainland major cities, the getting basic groceries and things like that, gas is not going to be that much different right per month now i will say eating out is definitely more expensive in seattle and i think it's just this general well since housing prices are higher we'll just make (laughs) restaurants higher but i'd say in general the grocery stores are not like maybe instead of paying 50 bucks on groceries you'll pay 55 or 60 but you're not looking at this like double type of jump so i would say the biggest factor for you would just be the housing and so i would look at apartments and just say like if i paid that per month how much does that eat into salary and, and do I feel comfortable with what that would look like? Seattle is in Washington, so it's also no income tax, uh, no state income tax. Um, so that's a consideration. It's really hard to move to a place that is expensive and does and has state income taxes and you're piling on all these things. Now, obviously that tax goes elsewhere. And so most people would say one of the reasons why housing is so expensive in Seattle is because that's where most of the taxes go. And Seattle is not Texas. We, there's limited space. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'd say those are all considerations. Obviously I'm super biased, but I also think that like, yeah, you got to do the math. What I would basically say is, do the math based on your like if all you paid for was salary and 401k and housing how much did you have left over in Houston and how much do you have left over in Seattle and how much does that hurt to to see that leftover yeah. change right cuz that is a huge consideration um it's going to be a hit yeah that would be that would be a hit now th- th- this is a bigger question for me though why not do they not have anything available in the Dallas or, or Austin offices? I don't want to live in Dallas. Oh, okay. No, so that's fine. That's that's totally cool. Um, I'm looking to move. Yeah, okay. Well, so that's a good option too. Um, it's And I, I feel like this worked out really well for Chelsea. It worked out really well for Kenzie. But like, you can always move. Maybe not take quite as much as you'd like. 
but you know that you're on a good trajectory. You've got your Texas PE license. You would be on your way to getting a Washington PE license as well and just be looking as soon as you get here. Right? Um, like, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be as soon as you get here, but like, it makes it a whole lot easier to hit up way more interviews way more often, you know, if you're in the area. So that's, that's an option as well. Um, I mean, Chelsea didn't quite do that, but it worked out well for her. She she moved and then just phew, she's like a she's the best person I know at finding a job. Like she just <laughs> she can yeah she's good at it. So um, yeah, obviously I'm biased. That would be pretty cool. We could do it. We could do it together. We could do the show together. Okay, so um, first of all, if you don't know of 538.com, you should know of it. Um, that's They're not the ones say- that brutally missed the last presidential <laughs> election prediction? Well, not the ones. They're one of many <laughs> that brutally missed. But if you the, – the, the better way to say it and the way Nate Silver says it, he's the guy that's like basically heads up 538, is no – we gave a prediction of Hillary Clinton having a 76 or whatever percent chance of winning, and we flipped three, uh, th- three quarters, and they were heads twice. Two quarters, and they were heads twice, right? And that was the one third that went to, or one quarter that went to Trump, or whatever, right? So um, that's the way he would explain it: is yes, we had Hillary Clinton out. No shit. In 2008, 538, or the equivalent thereof, when they were under, I think, ESPN or New York Times or wherever he was at that time, um, Obama was 99% chance, right? It was 99% Obama was going to win the day before the election. So if they had gotten that wrong, it's like your shit's all fucked up, right? Um, so anyway, <clears throat> they have. What they do, great. their kind of claim to fame is that this guy, Nate Silver, is an amazing statistician. He actually started in um, sports statistics. He mostly made, like, got famous by being a badass baseball statistician, I think, and then started to venture into other sports. And then I think ESPN, I, I think it was on ESPN. It was like 538 on ESPN or something like that. Now I got to look it up. Yeah. Five ESPN. Um, he basically was like, uh, you know, we might as well take some of this shit that we're doing and do it in uh, politics as well. And so they started to do uh, polling statistics and things like things like that. Well, basically, every election cycle, five thirty eight. Now they're spun off. They do um, forecasting for all of the races. Which is pretty cool. So if you just search for 538, like literally just the numbers 538. And um, and one of the links that Google will show you is 2018 house forecast. And they have three different versions. It's kind of cool, like of how they crunch the numbers. Classic is the norm, the way they normally do it. Light is that like light is only use the polls. Classic is take the polls, but then take external factors that you think you know about the election. So classic is like, give me the polls and then inject a little bit of the fact that, you know, there's probably going to be a blue wave this year 
right? Inject that into it a little bit. And then deluxe is like is classic with a little bit of smoothing out by the experts that work at 538. So if you want just pulling data, you do light, classic, and deluxe. It's all over there on the left. The cool thing here is they've actually done a distribution of number of seats um, one, which is badass because most people don't understand statistics. And what they're trying to show is that like this is the curve of what individual – so like what is the individual chance that Democrats will be plus 32 seats in the House? It's exactly 2.4%. And then they show you that by um, taking the area underneath that curve, that's how you calculate what the chance is that Democrats will win control of the House. And then if you calculate the area on the Republican side, what is the chance that they'll keep the House? Um, they have this cool like bar of what is um, the 80% area, like what is 80, it's an 80% chance that it will lie within this area, blah, blah, blah. So if you scroll down though, there's a chart that makes me want to stab people. And it's called how the house, or sorry, how the popular vote for the house translates into seats. And it is, first of all, it's very confusing. It's not the most, it's the best way they could do it, but it's also a very confusing chart, the way, just by the virtue of how it works. Um, But the most important part of it is a little note that they have at the top of that chart that says, Democrats are favored to win a majority of seats if they win the popular vote by at least... 5.5 points. And that is infuriating to me. What that means is that the Democrats have to win 55.5%. No, no, no. Sorry. A little bit less. 52.25. But yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because everyone goes up, they they go down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 52.5% of the popular vote in order to have a simple majority in the House. Correct. And that's the thing. I I forget the statistics, so don't quote me on it. But there's some statistic that, like, in the past 50 years or 30 years or something like that, the number of votes cast for Democrats has been higher in every election for the House except for one. In every single two-year across 30 years, something like that, it's except for one or two. But every single time... The number of individual votes cast on the House, the body that is supposed to represent the people, not the states. This isn't the Senate. I have my own qualms with the Senate. But this is the body that is supposed to be votes translate into seats. And so across like a 30-year period, all except for once or twice every two years, so 15 times, more votes have been cast for Democrats. And yet Republicans have held the House more of those years. And that's just absolutely infuriating to me. And it it would be infuriating to me if it were the opposite. Like, that's not the way elections should work, right? States shouldn't be able to decide how to disenfranchise the people in their states. So, and this is where I'm... And we we can discuss it if you want. I still got a few more minutes. But... That's where I want to transition. If you look up then 538 gerrymandering, they have an awesome um, page 
called the uh, wait. The Atlas of Redistricting, which is a fucking cool way to describe how bad gerrymandering is in the United States. Um, And it basically shows you all of the districts across the entire country, how competitive they are, so on and so forth. And then basically they've come up with a bunch of different ways to gerrymander to change the way that map looks. So there's basically – so they have one gerrymander districts to favor Republicans – they have gerrymandered districts to favor Democrats, match partisan breakdowns of seats, promote highly competitive elections. That one's really cool. Like basically the one that promotes highly competitive elections makes 242 seats in the House highly competitive. Today, only 70 are highly competitive. One of them is make district shapes as compact as possible. So that's called like a Voronoi diagram. And then the last one is make districts compact while also following county borders. So they have this really cool thing to show off like how bad gerrymandering is in different states um, and what the map would look like if we, you know, actually do drew districts properly. So anyway, I just wanted to um, throw that out there. Uh To make this problem even worse, though, with this, that's just the House. The House is supposed to represent the people, right? But then we have an entire other body. And I don't understand. Like, I get really passionate when arguing about this. The Senate is the least democratic thing that has ever been invented. That's probably false. Let me just, I'll just go ahead and fact check myself. Fascism. (laughs) But as far as it's the least democratic, feigning democratic thing, that's still false. But either way, the thing that irritates me about the Senate is that, and this is the the, a good example, is that like more, more populous states tend to be more liberal, and so they have more people voting for um, senators. And yet those votes are basically all thrown away, right? If we wanted to really change the Senate, we could just send like, I don't know, 10,000 Californians to like 20 states and literally (laughs) win all those Senate seats for Democrats, right? Like that's how low these state turnouts are for shit like Wyoming and stuff that like if you just, you know, sent 10,000 people there and that's the thing. Uh, California doesn't need it. You could send 10,000 Democrats to 20 different states and Democrats would still win in California and then would win in those other states, right? And that's one of the things that irritates me about the United States is I understand that historically it was this collection of states, but like that is so undemocratic that we have the whims of Wyoming equal to the whims of California, Whereas Wyoming has 500,000 people and California has, what is it, like 50 million or more, 60 million, something like that, right? It's literally a factor of 100, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's, it's like that sucks that half of an entire branch of our government, which then does influence a large portion of another br- branch of our government, but half of it at least is stuck in this 
well, Wyoming should have as much stay as, say as California. And it just should not if we want to claim that we're actually a democracy. That's my rant on how shitty the makeup is of both the House elections and the Senate elections. <laughs> the other thing you have to take into account is that, like, land and the people that operate the land have different value based on where they live. So, like, yeah, you're going to have states that are less populated, that are less populated due to the fact that we are growing all of our food there. So that they mm. there's just not room for more people. So should agriculture and things like agriculture really make a state less represented? Because then you're incentivizing all of the states to not have agriculture and then famine. So I don't know if we so that's an interesting argument, but at the same time, I'm not sure that that. What's the best way to put it? I wouldn't be surprised if California's agriculture output is fairly vast. Yeah, right? but so that could also have... like of course California grows more food than Rhode Island. Right? Cuz you need land. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, land. I'm saying California's a... gigantic. Yeah, right? I'm saying Compared as a percentage, let's say as a like, you know, not as a percentage, as a volume of land mass, right? As a vol- as a rate of And land you're going to look at things like Currently, density. density. Currently, like a huge part of the food grown in the Midwest is feed food. So yeah. you're not going to see that on a human agriculture report. You're going to see beef. You're not going to see corn grown to feed those cows. So, like, yeah, California probably grows more human food than, say, Nebraska. But Nebraska grows mostly feed food for animals that we all eat. Yeah. So I would say I understand that argument, and I've heard different versions of that. It's and I've heard some confusing versions of that. It's like, well, if if it were more democratic, then all those people that are in less populous cities or less populous parts of the country would have their voices drowned out. Right. It's so you're like, gonna well, with, with that argument, you're either drowning out the small towns or you're drowning out Los Angeles. Like, which one exactly. do you think is more fair to drown out? Exactly, because today that's what's going on, right? Today right. in the Senate, Los Angeles has more people than like 13 states, probably more and than they, that, probably more, <laughs> and they have less representation than each of those states, right? Say Los Angeles gets one, you know, has. Not that it has, but say that Los Angeles is half of California's population and therefore controls one senator, right? All those 13 states each get two senators, right? So that's the thing. You're, and, and that's kind of my argument is it's like, okay, I, I see where you're coming from, but that doesn't, just because they do or don't live in the city doesn't make that vote or that person inherently any more or less valuable, Right, and if there are more people who end up being more liberal because they live in the cities, then that's the way the democracy is going. I'm not saying that going. the individual person is more or less valuable. I'm saying the product yes, that they produce. The pro- are. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I, I'm just saying, like, we don't want to fuck with the agriculture sector because that's how you end up with famine and death. So, like, we sure. need to balance the, like. We like in the old days, agriculture was the number one thing 
in every culture. Yeah. And now it's not top 100 anymore, yeah. right? As far as the number of people required to do it. So, sure, so much of sure. it's automated by machines and stuff. So, like, you can have a vast state with a lot of valuable economic output that has a very small population. And thus, like, what you're going to incentivize are large cities, which is incentivizing people, which sounds like the thing you'd want to do. But I just want to make sure that it's clear that it's also more complicated than that sometimes. I agree. It is. I, I think my bigger problem then would be, and maybe there's a different way to look at that argument. What I would say then, instead of cal- like, uh, you know, um, comparing California and Wyoming, we could compare Colorado and Wyoming, or Utah and Wyoming, where like. Live, literally living on one side in the middle of nowhere on the side of on one side of the border or the other completely changes how quote unquote valuable your vote is in affecting federal politi- policies right you're yeah. still the same person same farmer same agricultural output but just that random dividing line decides how powerful your vote is and i once did the math like in a presidential election, um, a Wyomingan has thirteen times more presidential influence than a Californian, or something like that. I, I might have get him messed up, but at the end of the day, a Wyomingan has five. It's either five or thirteen times more presidential election power, and five or thirteen, whichever ones I'm switching, more times. Uh, federal power, right, than an individual in California. And they could both be farmers, right? You could be a farmer in the middle of nowhere, California, and you could be a farmer in the middle, middle of nowhere, Wyoming. And both of those farmers, one of them is being, is their vote is 13 or 5, whichever one it was for each metric, times less effective, which sucks. Like, that's not democracy, Right. <laughs> So, and that's, I think that's the bigger point is yes, maybe you don't want to incentivize big cities and I'm not trying to incentivize Wyoming towards bigger cities. Um, I would be more for incentivizing bigger farmers unions or something where farmers all across the United States from Wyoming to California to Alabama are a, form a coalition of a block in the government. That's totally fine. Like if you want to form your own party or have your own block of the Republican Party or your own block of the Democratic Party or whatever it is and then vote based on your interests, that's fine. But you should vote on the interests of farmers, not Wyoming and farmers or Californian farmers or whatever, you know. There's an easier solution than all that. What's that? Get rid of states? Get rid of animal farming. Hmm. Get, make all that fake meat in the labs. Oh, yeah. Eliminate the need for all of that, that land. feed farming, yeah. You get rid of all the land you need for the, for the animals. You get rid of all the land you need to grow the food for the animals. And then you make that all public parks. And we start growing way more trees. And then we fight global warming. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Good talk. So that's my rant on federal... Come visit us on Facebook... Um, Aaron's got to go pretty quick here, so this is going to be a brief, uh, wrap-up. Um, Facebook, still got nothing. Um, email, still got nothing. 
download the podcast several different times on several different things uh so we get our download numbers up um if anyone knows any ad execs let us let, let them know that we're here um uh Aaron, you got anything else got nothing